Hey guys, Jerry here. We did have an awesome episode to bring you this week featuring the one and only Dr. Rich Shea as he talks about the new Doomsday deck that's been making the rounds on Magic Online. Uh, unfortunately, the Atog Lord's uh, minions got to his track and we lost the episode due to some technical difficulties. Um, don't worry, though, we are going to be re-recording it and releasing it. Uh, it's just with the scheduling and whatnot, we couldn't get it out this Friday. Uh, so instead, we wanted to take a dive into the vault and bring you guys a deep cut from a couple years ago uh, that's still well worth the listen uh, today. It's one of my favorite episodes. We We've ever recorded memoirs of a tundra mage featuring our friend steve hendrickson uh where we dive into the history of control decks in legacy uh going all the way back to the beginning of magic so still very much relevant today and it's a really enjoyable listen recorded it uh just over two years ago so if you're one of our newer listeners you've never heard it before and if you're one of our old standbys it's still an episode that's worth a re-listen I uh, hope you guys enjoy, and we'll be back next week with Dr. Rich Shea. Magic is power. to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I am your legacy newbie. With me this week, as always, my partner in crime, Mr. Jerry Me. What's up, Jerry? Not much, Pat. How you doing this week? Terrible. Again, my voice is just blown out. You sound like shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, we have we have a really exciting episode today. I'm really this is probably one of the first episodes we've done like a good amount of research uh, prior to recording. So I'm pretty excited for this one. I put work in, Pat. You I, did. I read, you had notes. I you read had notes. I had notes. I read articles. I, I read a book. The highlighter. <laughs> I read a book. <laughs> it's true. You did read a book. <laughs> I didn't even know you could read. I mean, personally, I think books are for nerds, but uh, you know. That that jock in you always always comes out. You can take the, uh, take the jock off the field, but you can't take the field out of the jock. Is that's the yeah, idiom, right? That, that totally it? makes it. perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I nailed that. I nailed uh, that. As always, we want to thank Hips of the Coast for bringing you guys Leaving a Legacy every Friday. You can also find us on the Top Decked app as well. Uh, also, if you want to support the show directly. You can visit patreon.com slash leaving a legacy. You can support the show for as little as a dollar an episode. Uh, even a little bit takes us a long way, guys. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, we have some great rewards in there. We have stickers and play mats and more. Check it out. Link is in the show notes. So, Jerry, uh, how about you introduce our guest this week and also our topic? Yeah, so... Uh, this week, uh, we're doing something a little different. We're doing a little history lesson this week. Uh, uh, our friend of the cast, RJ Ilvester, uh, requested the history of blue-white control. One of know, our as... one of our mythic level supporters on Patreon, by the way. Yes, yes, Pat, you get that corporate shilling in. Hey, you know, <laughs> someone's, someone's got to pay the bills around here, man. I know, I know. I'm I'm just the the frivolous uh, member of this relationship who just spends the money. You got to bring right, it in, right. Pat. I appreciate exactly. you. <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, RJ uh, requested the history of Blue White Control. So today we asked our friend Steve Hendrickson on the cast. Steve, how are you doing today? Great, guys. How are you guys doing? Awesome. So, Steve, thanks for coming on. You are, quote unquote, a historian of Blue White Control in the legacy format. Why don't you kind of tell our listeners, you know, what your experience with Magic is when you started out and yeah, kind of about your favorite type of way to play Magic? Yeah, I've played on and off from the beginning. Um, as far as my style has always been the Blue White Control. Um Tundra Mage is a coin I'm stealing from, uh, a term I'm stealing from the Card Kingdom guys. They call them Tundra Mages. Those are mages that really don't want to ever win the game. They just never want to lose. We, we <laughs> like magic. We like magic so much that we want to play our entire 50 minutes and plus some time. So don't bother with win cons. Just try to never die. And I mean, I played Legacy since before it went, you know, it was 1.5 and. I just I've always enjoyed the fact that I get to play my cards and I don't have to worry about rotations and everything else. I played standard at several points. Uh, the last standard that I played heavily was Return to Ravnica Block because of some spell called Sphinx Revelation. It might be a blue white mm-hmm, spell. Mm-hmm. It might draw cards in game life. I'm not sure, but um, it was just uh, you know, I mean, that's just how I've been since I've started. Awesome. And so you you actually started with Alpha Beta, or uh, when when did you come into it? I mean, it was it was revised. So yeah, pretty me. much. It's like yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I mean, like it, like I don't. People talk about they played Alpha Beta, and I never saw Alpha Beta, and I went to comic book stores looking for it. It was kind yeah. of a thing where I was always going to comic book stores because I was a as Patrick called nerd, and I read books. They were comic <laughs> books, but. You it's know, true. The, I I remember stories of you know the old days and you know, getting alpha beta packs was hard. Like <clears throat> like magic sold out quick, and right. that's that's what led like unlimited was supposed to be an unlimited print run, and then they sold out of that. And they're like, oh, we kind of need to tweak this a bit. And then we got revised, and revised was kind of when people were really able to consistently get cards. Oh yeah, I mean Sarah Angel for me was like the 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 coolest card ever. It was an angel. It, was you know on the offense and defense it was just it was everything you know? <laughs> one of one of the very few creatures early on that actually had uh proto vigilance right oh i mean yeah it had vigilance basically but i mean like it was one of the few creatures that actually had that before it was a mechanic but it's actually so had that old. ability Vig- yeah you think of a vigilance as like one of the oldest keywords ever and sarah angel was before vigilance was yeah and there, there just but, weren't a lot of creatures that had the ability to attack without tapping so that was pretty unique at right. the time Oh, I mean, I remember when they printed, uh, I think it was Future Sight. It was our Time Spiral. The the blue version of Sarah Angel, the, the Sarah Sphinx. And it was just a, re- a redone blue version of it. And it was just like, oh, my God, look at this. It's a, you know, <laughs> I don't even have to play white if I don't want to. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, so, you know, you're perfect, Steve, to kind of go over uh, this topic that we have today. Um, so I think really just the history of the deck starts even before legacy was a format. Um, so it's affectionately known as quote unquote, just the deck. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, it many consider it to be one of the first magic decks and Pat, you, uh, you've done a lot of reading about, uh, the format. You want to kind of go? Yeah. So, um, I, I was reading Titus Chalk's book, uh, generation decks. It's actually a book that I picked up. 
um, back in Vegas last summer, and I'm uh, you know midway through the book now, which tells you how much I truly believe that books are <laughs> indeed for nerds. Um, but he actually has a whole chapter devoted to uh, to the deck because it really was you know a lot of the book really concerns itself with the phenomena of magic and like how it really became a grassroots um, uh, community. Uh, and the deck was really the first um, deck that was out there that really kind of broke the metagame and really took advantage of what was really not really considered a um, uh, a thing at the time, which was card advantage. And the the first iteration of was like a blue-black-white deck uh, that Brian Weissman built with his friend Matt Wallace. And these two guys built this this blue-black-white deck. And they, they originally, when they were playing Magic, they would play, uh, they would start at 40 Life. So they were able to get these really long, grindy games. And uh, I think that's kind of helped determine sort of the direction for this deck. But um, it, the, the blue-black-white deck, it was an Esperk deck, and it was... Generating a lot of card advantages, cards like Mind Twist, Library of Alexandria, had permission spells like Counterspell and Power Sync, um, and then also used Acceleration. And this is kind of funny thinking about Legacy, but they were able to use cards like the Moxin and Mana Vaults to ramp. And they had they played four Juggernauts and four Mahatmati Jins, uh, and uh, that those were their creatures to close out the game. Um, and uh, the the I think the first real big breakout for the deck was at Manifest, and uh, Matt Wallace was actually who was a friend of Brian's. Um, they didn't have enough libraries and mind twists between the two of them to make the the de- two copies of the deck, so they had to do a coin toss. And his friend Matt ended up uh, winning the coin toss, and he took it took down that event, um, which was like a fairly large event. I think they said a five hundred player event. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, which is pretty massive. If and if I'm that's, wrong, please that's like even big considered for these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yes. If I'm wrong, yeah, we, please I mean, please feel free to correct me. But I'm pretty sure that yeah, was. Yeah, uh, and it was, it was like it was like 1994. Or just to yeah. put it in context, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, because this is pre, this is pre Legends, because that's when the the deck uh, got a new iteration. So, um, <clears throat> yes, moat. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this was what I, which is uh, something I specifically wanted to bring up. Um, so this was kind of like Matt's. This was the the pinnacle of Matt's kind of magic career because shortly after this, he actually quit magic and just went to uh, to work for an, um, an ISP and one of the early ISPs. Um, but Brian kept kind of refining the deck because he wanted to bring it out to more tournaments. Um, after having like a uh, a so so showing at one event, he uh, went back to the drawing board when uh, got some cards from Legends. Uh, because Mind Twist had been restricted, so <clears throat> he uh, he could only play one copy when you had a, a card like Mind Twist restricted. So using some new Legends cards, um, and the ones that they kind of noted were, were Disrupting Scepter, Mana Drain, which kind of replaced uh, which kind of replaced Counterspell was a little bit more powerful of card, and also Moat uh, because instead of, now instead of running uh, eight creatures, he could just run four Sarah Angels, and that was his. Uh, that was his uh, win condition in the deck. And I just wanted to read a quote um, from Jim Lynn, who was one of the East Coast playtesters. Um, I thought it was really interesting about uh, about uh, well, Wizards employee and how they kind of looked at the deck. And he said, and I quote, um, This is the first time I think the Magic environment had seen a deck like that. People were just amazed at it. I was amazed at it. I couldn't believe it was so successful. And uh, yeah, within a month or two, everyone everyone really started to to learn about this deck and and copy the deck. And I think it's uh, the, like again the first real control deck in the game and uh, the first one to really um, ride that hard edge of card advantage. And something that obviously has stuck with that that deck in particular throughout time. Mm-hmm. And you know there were like combo decks like Channel Fireball had existed. 
um, that were like two card combos. I think what really the deck brought to Legacy Two was just synergy. It was just mm-hmm. a deck that maximizes synergy and efficiency. Um, you know, it has a specific game plan. But yeah, go, Steve. Uh, you had uh, firsthand experience with the deck. Oh, so the deck was great because it um it answered everything. It was a it was a it was basically like how the Miracles decks are today. They just they tried to answer everything at once. They had stuff for burn. They had stuff for because there were mono red aggro strategies back then. Um, and there was just there was it was you didn't know because the internet wasn't as prevalent with Magic. Like you know everything was kind of word of the mouthish. So you had to be ready, and you, I mean, Scry Magazine. Oh God! Oh, I read the so Duelist, close. man. I love the Duelist. <laughs> You don't read. You just said you don't read. I looked at the pictures on Duelist. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it had like, I mean, the, the deck I remember had like four counterspell and four mana drains because, I mean, it doesn't matter what, like, we're we're, we're privileged magicians now. We have one drops like crazy. But mm. back then, like two mana counter something, that was, that was better than anything at any rate. So, um, and you had, like, you had disenchant. Disenchant was huge. Disenchant was like yeah. When everyone's the playing, and... yeah. When everyone's playing moxes, disenchant's value goes way up, <laughs> right? And I mean, like, you know, the win cons. There was, you know, there were several. It's just it was really good, and you know, control magic also was heavily played. Man, I think I played like three of them. Because like, why run win conditions when you can just take your opponents? Yeah, so when it was a an Esper deck, it ran Control Magic, and then I was reading when they introduced Moat to it, all of a sudden, they don't need to care about any creature that doesn't have flying. So now, right. they just have the four swords to plowshares, all I care about is clearing your skies, and then I beat you down with Sarah Angel, so I don't even need these Control Magics anymore. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a fun, I, I mean, I still, I have my Moat. Like, I have two moats, and everybody's like, oh, your moats, you this, that, and the other. Well, moats weren't expensive. Like, it wasn't the same. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, I tell people all the time, I have a moat, I have two moats, and I have a tabernacle. And everybody's like, oh, you, because of this, you bought these in. I was like, no, I got them when they were nothing, and, and now they're worth something. Like, you didn't, you know, you didn't run more than one tabernacle, and you didn't run more than two moats. So, I mean, it was just, it's a different, it was a different era of magic. Things weren't expensive. Everybody wanted Shivan Dragon and Sarah Angel. Right. <laughs> I mean, that that was the go-to cards. But I mean, like, Disenchants were, I uh, to, to frame it, Disenchants were so important because they dealt with Juggernaut, which was very popular. Mm-hmm. And they dealt with the Moxon. Or, and the opposing Scepters. Because one Scepter got out. But like, it wasn't like Disenchants, a sideboard card that we play now. Disenchants were main deck. Just, and they were so good. It's kind of, over the years, magic has become more complex and complicated, and they've added more types to the point where it almost dilutes the format, you know, the format a bit. Where back in the day, you basically had, you have creatures, you have spells, you have artifacts, and a couple enchantments. So, disenchant deals with 50% of card types, whereas today, disenchant hits a lot less than it used to. Well, I mean, as we go through the history, there was one giant printing of a new card type that has influenced the entire way we build decks and how decks are now today. That is true. We will little little foreshadowing there. <laughs> um, so that was kind of the deck. It was the first uh, real control deck. And this is pro- about like three years before 
legacy even starts becoming a format because now it's still so early in the introduction of magic that they, basically everything is standard <laughs> they they have a standard block and now going forward we're actually getting to the point where people are thinking about you know as the years go on we get more and more sets maybe we want to divide magic up to you know these these types of eras and that's where we get you know type 1.5 in 1997 so back in the day type 1 is what we think of as vintage type 1.5 is more or less what we think of as legacy and type 2 is what we would call standard today um so basically between you know the deck and type 1.5 you know was there much uh change was or was it just kind of the basic strategy adding in a couple cards as we go over the years yeah i mean basically like for the thunder mages like me i mean it, it's it's really funny if you look at the deck and you look at current miracles you see thundra counterspell volcanic island red blast disenchant these are all cards played then they're still played there's not mm -hmm. been much there's not actually been much of a change except for what's impacted all of legacy so like when onslaught came out and and well mass came out brainstorm but nobody cared onslaught and brainstorm the onslaught fetches and brainstorm all of legacy cared you know like it was just it's, and it, and it's you know it does. It affects everything we do today. Right. So, and but that's the can the control deck just kind of molds itself around you know because that's what a good control deck does. It reacts to its environment uh, and you know keeps its thumb on it. So if the rest of the meta is shifting, then the control deck is going to shift as well. Right. So um, I mean, basically, the biggest thing is uh, standstill. Right. So moving forward to give some context, going from about. You know, 94, 95 to 1997 is when 1.5 really became a format. And moving on from there, there wasn't much change until 2001 when Odyssey came out. And tell, tell us about Standstill a bit. Oh, Standstill was the best thing ever. If you never want to, if you want to <laughs> just not not win and play Magic forever, Standstill's your card. <laughs> you do nothing. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> Me too. Uh, there is a giant difference in today's metagame versus then. There was no Delver. There was no Deathrite. There weren't these punishing one drops that you that could get under your standstill. There was a lot of times that your standstill could come down, and your opponent would have to crack it. So mm -hmm. it was. It was, and there was, you know, a lot of philosophy like crack it right away, so they have to discard and whatever. It doesn't matter if you're you had a standstill in your opener and it landed, you probably were going to win your game. So. Mm -hmm. And were you, was it being paired with things like Fairy Conclave and Mishra's Factory, or what was what was kind of the the shell of the blue white? You know, we talked about Tundra, Disenchant, Source of Plashers, Counterspell. Those are the standbys. What else did you kind of play to take advantage of Standstill? I don't remember Fire or Conclave being right away. I mean, Conclave was definitely in the deck later on. Um, and I get I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now on when that card came out. Factory, we had Con a fourth. Of fourth edition and early yeah Con conclave was urza's prophecy so but it was it was already out uh when standstill was printed i don't, I don't remember using it right away some people may have i remember factories because i've got my mm -hmm. my seasonal set i've got one of every seat of the season and i will never give them up the great my winter looks like it's been through winter but uh, <laughs> it, you know the game of thrones winter is coming it, it came for my winter but uh I, I, it's just great. I mean, you, you played those cards. You got to 
land standstill. If they didn't want to give you the cards, you just beat them to death with tutus. And and if they didn't, then you know if they did give you the cards, well, you just get closer to your one of your big splashy win conditions. Uh, Decree of Justice was amazing when it was printed. Exactly. So yeah. So stand standstill was kind of just added to the deck. You didn't really try and take advantage of it so much as just you played around it. Um, no, I'm sorry. Standstill changed the evolution of the deck because we added the the factories and we also started on uh, mana dial strategies of our own uh, mm-hmm. because you wanted wastelands for opposing factories and it also is just great to wasteland your opponent and if they don't have anything, you win. Gotcha. So I'm trying to remember when Wasteland was Tempest. So Yeah, so Wasteland was out at this point. Yeah. But, I mean, it wasn't actually, like, super prevalent and expensive. It was... right. Wasteland was still. I I remember even when I was playing in like Odyssey block, you could get wastelands out of the dollar binder. Right, right. They were they were super cheap, um, and it was. I mean, they were great. I mean, they basically it was it was kind of like mirror tech technology. Like I don't want their factories to get me, and you mm-hmm. know it just gets it gets through the standstill. But it also was like you just win the game. So, I mean, exactly. So, you know, Standstill was printed in 2001, and then pretty much right after Standstill was printed, uh, next year, the next block, uh, Onslaught block, 2002, Fetchlands are printed. Yeah. And Fetchland Brainstorm is, like, I almost feel that's, like, the dividing line of Legacy. <laughs> like, this is when Legacy, the format as we know it, came into existence. I would definitely call that the birth of Legacy. Um I, like I always try to think of pre-Delver, and then you know that's that's my line. Like pre-Delver, it's like because mm-hmm. Legacy was completely different pre-Delver. Like one, the division between one point five and Legacy, I would definitely would put. Like it wasn't the Legacy was created; it was when Onslaught fetches came into being, and I think they started they started doing some of the uh, Z- Turbo Xerox nonsense in certain formats and that started kind of translating to it. And, you know, it just, things became a different breed when you were rewarded for your brainstorms with Fetchlands. Mm-hmm. And so along with Fetchlands brainstorm, which we could do an entire episode, just talking about how important brainstorm is. <laughs> uh, yeah. But along with those, uh, the blue white control list got some pretty sweet finishers in the form of eternal dragon and decree of justice. Oh. Um, <laughs> I know those those hold a special place in your heart. Can you kind of, can you tell us about those? Because I don't think very many uh, newer players who weren't playing around this time would know about these cards. Decree of Justice was our basically our untreat the angels. So as helpless as you felt to a bunch of four fours, it was really funny that uh, I think Scourge Scourge was. Um, yeah, yeah Scourge. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Scourge was Decree of Justice. Definitely Scourge. Um, it was just... it. So, for the people that don't know, Decree of Justice is two white, white, double X, put X, four, four, white angel creature tokens with flying onto the battlefield. I think I may have used that once or twice, and that's it. Um, <laughs> you did not... That, car, that, ha- that top half of the card did not exist. <laughs> right, right. Uh, the real use of it is you cycle two and a white, and cycling is discard this, tro- discard this card to draw a card. 
when you cycle decree of justice, you may pay X if you do put X one one white soldiers onto the battlefield. And the benefit with that is because it's cycling, it doesn't actually count as casting a card, so you can have a standstill out and then make a whole army of one one soldier tokens. <laughs> I mean, this it was really it was it was funny because I mean, you get the top deck wars now, and you would top deck basically you would top deck a standstill and you put it down, and your opponent would be like, well. I want to get some cards first before I try to get into engage the standstill and you would just go cycle <laughs> and they couldn't yeah. counter it. They can't do anything. Right. And, Cause if you counter it, it cracks the standstill. So you draw the cards. If they try well, and answer your soldier tokens, it cracks the sand standstill and you draw cards. Right. And I mean, the only reason, the only way to counter it was stifle. So it was, you can't even, you can't counter the cycle. So they, I mean, it was just, it was just a helpless feeling. Right. Plus, oh, that's the salt in the wounds. Is that when you cycle, you also draw a card. It right. replaces itself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the card. I would say the card still would be amazing if one ones were possible. But it, I mean, Delver Secrets invalidates the entire strategy. So I would say more just Deathrite Shaman. The fact that they have infinite blockers makes one one tokens a lot like worse. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, but yeah, so that was a sweet addition to the deck. And then at the same time, in the same set, we also got Eternal Dragon. Oh, this... I, I need to get this art. Like, I, I remember seeing this card. I, I opened Eternal Dragons in booster packs, and I just loved this thing. Like, the art is super sweet. I, yeah, see, I like the OG one. Like, I it, uh, the newer one, that there's a, I think there's a Judge promo or DCI. It looks like... I don't know. It looks like Falcor from Never Ending Story. <laughs> I hate that thing. It's like it's like this sad looking white dragon. He's like sad. upset nobody picked him to play soccer or something. I don't know. He's the horrible. new art the, the new art reflects Eternal Dragon's playability in the new age. <laughs> That's true. He's like, Oh, nobody picked me. I got it. Yeah. Like the, the old I'm one not was relevant. Just like, it was this white smear across the sky and it just looked like awe. It just it yeah, just, it's it's like it's a ghost dragon, and it looks super cool, but also peaceful. <laughs> and it's and it's yeah. super hot as a foil. I love it as a foil. I'm oh not yeah, lie. does look gorgeous as foils. I think the foils are actually super expensive because of that. Um, but so Eternal Dragon, for those who don't know, is five white white screams legacy playable right <laughs> that's, that's my that's my kind of card <laughs> uh for a five five flying creature not too great on the vanilla test <laughs> uh has three white white return eternal dragon from your graveyard to your hands play this ability only during your upkeep that's a pretty expensive ability but what it has is plain cycling two so you can pay two and discard this card from your hand search your library for a planes card reveal it and put it into your hand then shuffle your library so, yeah, so when Legacy was a much slower format, this was one of the best things you could be doing. So, yeah, go, tell us about it, Steve. Well, you're under a standstill, right? So, like, the worst thing that happened under a standstill is for you not to hit your land drops. Eternal Dragon allowed you under a standstill to end a turn, pay two mana, get rid of this giant bonkers thing that you don't need right now, and get a Tundra. Mm-hmm. And you'd be exactly. able to put your, make your Tundra drop on your next turn and if you ever got to the point where you had like seven or eight man and they still weren't doing anything for some reason you just pay to bring it back you know it would so i mean it was it was it was perfect for the card for the for the for the day of age it was perfect for that mm-hmm. and it was only well, a one could, of. 
Right. And I remember if your opponent would just refuse to break your standstill, you could just every turn Eternal Dragon, uh, find your planes, put it in play, return Eternal Dragon, just do it over and over again. And eventually you just get to the point where you don't have any lands left in your deck and every draw you have for the rest of the game is just live. Oh, yeah, it was hot. Um, it was it was it was straight gasoline. Like you would just basically <laughs> dilute your deck if your opponent wanted was to play the, that way. The slowest burning gasoline ever. <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> For the low cost of seven mana a turn, you can <laughs> fetch a land out of your deck. <laughs> I mean, but that's kind of just what the theory of control is. Is you know, you don't mind playing a lot of mana to just get pure card advantage. Like back in the day of the deck, one of the big additions was Jade Tome, which is pay four to draw a card. Like that's a lot of mana. Like that is hard to pull off these days but back in the day just paying for to just straight up draw a card like that just builds this mounting card advantage which is what the control deck wants to do right well i mean the, the thing was was those decks played so much mana um that was before we really went into like turbo xerox theory and playing all these cantrips and cheating our on our land so you had you know an average of i, I think the least amount of lands i played was 24 back then and that was like the bare minimum um, like I was being risky. So you had so much mana and games didn't games weren't as fast as they are now. Like if if someone played into a sweeper, like Wrath or something, it would it would take so long for them to rebuild. And standstills would buy you that time. So it really wasn't a problem to play that kind of strategy and say, it wasn't unreasonable to go, I'm gonna use my five mana and my upkeep, get me my eternal dragon back. And then I'm going to play my land trap <laughs> fast turn. <laughs> and we're going to keep doing this until you say uncle, you know. Right. Like curves were just much higher back then. You know, we didn't have these super aggressive one drops that we have today. Right. Um, so, yeah. So Eternal Dragon was a big was a big addition uh, along with Decree of Justice. And the deck kind of stayed like that for a while, just kind of standstill value decks um, were just really popular in the format and just, I would say, became a pillar of the format for for years. Um, And then about two years later, uh, we finally get Legacy actually becomes an official format known as Legacy. So back in 2004, uh, Aaron Forsyth uh, actually had a poll on the mothership, uh, magicthegathering.com, of you know what to name this new format and they introduced an actual separate band list for legacy because up until this point the band list was basically just whatever was restricted in vintage is banned in legacy um so now legacy actually became its own unique format with its own separate band list in 2004 which was perfect because that is when sensei's divining top was printed in kamigawa um so how did uh sensei's top kind of change the deck I mean, a lot of us, Sensei's Top added a consistency to decks, but it was also, it wasn't seen as much play until much later. It was like, you know, really a lot of the Dirtle Mages that just did not want to ever progress their game beyond just making sure they hit their <laughs> land drops and having a one removal spell or counter spell. That's what you play top. It was, I mean, purely just... How do I make sure that I can never miss what I need? I'm going to play this card. This is the <laughs> ultimate dirtle card. Yep. I mean, I remember, so I was playing in this in this time, and in 2004, I was about, you know, 14, 15, 
And I remember us opening Sensei's Divining Tops in packs and being like, eh, this card might be good. And then putting them in bulk bins and never touching them again because, you know, we just didn't really understand the power of, uh, you know, mixing Sensei's Top uh, with cards like Fetchland were yet. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think that that really came up as much for most like you know i just don't remember a lot of people really being into it a lot of people actually disliked the card because of the mana investment in it yeah oh someone showed me this like article from from the that day it was like one of the first ever articles written on sensei's top and the person was just like bashing it because like this is so expensive you're gonna have to sink so much mana into it over the course of the game it doesn't give you any real advantage it's just like like looking back and like reading about it uh with today's perspective it's just hilarious how people's first impressions of the card were <laughs> I, I would read do you even read about stuff that been, so there was somebody that mentioned like it was like Game takes ten turns. You put it on turn one. You've got ten man invested in this. You could play, you know, this thing and just one. And I'm like, you know, it was just like to me, it was like, no, but this thing's great. Like, I always have leftover mana because I'm holding up counter spells, so I want to spin. You know. <laughs> Mm -hmm. so yeah so sensei's top really didn't see much play the deck uh more or less continued on uh as it was with some small additions until 2006 when the infamous counterbalance was printed uh so how was that kind of scene so counterbalance was in cold snap in 2006 yeah it came out in cold snap uh, the, there was everybody tried different counterbalance decks out um the biggest the biggest counterbalance deck i remember was the supreme blue uh, counterbalance deck, but it wasn't really a blue-white deck. Uh, and uh, counterbalance, you know, it was more seen as cute. So it's kind of funny that now, because everybody remembers it in our time period as an oppressive, <laughs> as an oppressive deck. <laughs> uh, but like, it, it does come down to the difference in mana cost. Um, yeah, curves were still high. Like the curve in Legacy was much more spread out, whereas we become so hyper efficient in today's Legacy. Well, there was there was you know there was natural order deck. Um, mm -hmm. There were the goblin decks had aether vials, and they also played goblins that ranged from one to four. So like you really couldn't get people the way you can. Uh, in today's society, because or in today's metagame, because everything is so cheap. So, but I don't think like Supreme Blue. I remember. I think it was later. Supreme Blue was later, but it was basically it was a like a four color counterbalance deck, and I think it played Tom Voice, and that was like the first big counterbalance deck that I remember. We didn't really play around with it. I think till like 2011 with counterbalance. I think there was a couple instances before. The like counterbalance was big because it started people brewing and working on making like some people were giving up on standstill but they weren't they weren't ready yet it wasn't well just a little bit longer that we got we kind of started giving up on on standstill and that was the next year basically right well basically it's the standstill list stopped being a blue white list it that's i feel this is around the time when land still came into play and people were really maximizing the you know man land standstill interactions yes and the crucibles yeah in the crucible of worlds yeah. so it's it's you know it stopped really being a pure blue white deck and there you know uh, there will always be people who sleeve up the pure blue white list but it wasn't such a defining force in the format anymore oh I'm, i mean legacy land still I mean, it was a great deck. Um, it, 
it, it was just different. <laughs> well, so where like the eternal dragon strategy in the decree, they dragged out, you would win with these big splashy things. The the land still decks, they, if you dragged it out, they'd just take all your mana away. You know, they would take your ability to play magic. So they'd almost mm-hmm. force you to crack standstill. Right. And they would play they would play things like Dust Bowl and Crucible of Worlds and just grind you away. Yes, I'm very fond of my Dust Bowl. I keep <laughs> trying it. It doesn't work. <laughs> Um, I even upgraded. It shows, you'll, I'll see it in like an Esper list every now and then. I'm like, what you trying to do? <laughs> I saw, um, what was it? I saw it in Tesseret. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, there was a Tesseret. They played it as a one of instead of Wastelands because Wastelands has a database to play so many of them. And they, and once their signets and all their other Monk Simons come out, they have more than enough mana so they can just sink into Dust Bowl. I can see that. That's uh, that's pretty spicy. I'm always willing to give uh, you know spicy one ofs a chance. Right, right, right. But I mean, I remember. See, I remember in '07 we still were primary, primarily blue white decks. We played like Factor Fiction and Stifles. Mm-hmm. That's when the Stifles got added to the list. Um, yes, because it was basically you were all in on the mana denial, and you played Stifles and Nev's Disc. And uh, we had red for fire ice. That was the card that we started playing red for. Mm-hmm. Fire and ice, I remember being super big. Um, so, yeah, so fire and ice, that's when we started seeing uh, red being splashed. And then 2007, we got the huge upgrade of Ponder being printed. Yeah. Um, which, like, when I think back and thinking of Ponder, I feel I take Ponder for granted because I feel ponder being like brainstorm and just always being there but like before then like you guys were forced to run like portent at user card which is funny that we're coming back around to portent today yeah yeah <laughs> yeah portent is now actually a real card <laughs> not just a substandard right and people i remember people would play like four brainstorm four portent and just being like Really? There's there's nothing better than this? I guess not. <laughs> but Ponder sees play, and Ponder, I feel, is one of the catalysts that starts to really speed up the format. Um, Legacy as a whole starts getting uh, more streamlined, and this definitely has to do with cards that are going to be printed along the line. But I feel Ponder in 2007 is when we start to see the curve start you know, slowly ticking downwards. It, it enables the the turbo Xerox strategies that we have today. If you look at all of the yes. blue so, decks. So you meant, so you've mentioned that before. Can you explain uh, to our listeners who might not be as familiar, the, the theory behind turbo Xerox turbo Xerox is basically making your deck uh, as redundant as possible. So instead of you can't, because we can only play four of in our decks by playing these one mana cantrips, you're basically making it. So you get to these cards that you can only play truly four of. So you can only play four Delvers and four Death Rites, but how do you enable yourself to get to them is you play these cheap, efficient cantrips, and it's basically like playing another Death Rite or another Delver or another Lightning Bolt if you need it or another Force of Will because you're just making sure that you get to what you need. Right. Awesome. So, yeah, so that Ponder is what kind of started this entire mindset and really started pushing Legacy in the direction that we find it today. Um, but also, at the same time, a Ponder being printed, we got a new card type. Ugh, Planeswalkers. <laughs> I, love, I love my Jace, but Planeswalkers <laughs> are ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, so Lorwyn, we first saw Planeswalkers come into play. 
They seem like Planeswalkers would fit the control strategy perfectly because it's a card you play, and the longer it's in play, the more value you get off of it. Planeswalkers are virtual card advantage. Um, but did you know the blue-white control players take to uh, Planeswalkers right off the bat? Um, no, because, I mean, so we didn't... The first Planeswalkers, uh, the white one was creature-centric, and the blue one allowed your opponent to draw cards. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what control decks want. Right. <laughs> so. so the first Planeswalkers were a bit of a disappointment, but they definitely sparked, uh, you know, a new era of magic. I mean, if, it's actually like, in my opinion, if you look, 2007, the year of Planeswalkers and Ponder, which is also another card that isn't, um, it's not suited well with Standstill. It's it's funny you you there one's a sorcery that you know you want to play to set up stuff and standstills like where you just want instance so these this year is when like I consider like the division like the, this O seven happens and standstill starts kind of getting left behind like, goodbye buddy <laughs> we had time <laughs> we'll be back we'll be back for you we'll try you out for F and M every once in a while right <laughs> and there's also um, during right before this there was also um, the scepter chant deck. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, I fucking love that deck. Tell us about Scepter Chant. Uh, Scepter Chant is basically the epitome of I don't want my opponents to play magic or have fun or see their family ever again. It was the original most hated deck. Yeah, it's uh, it's you'll see it still people trying to play it. God bless those souls. But uh, it's um, it, it's a deck that plays for Isochron Scepter, which is uh, it's a. Uh, what is it? Two, two mana. Thank you. Two mana. Uh, in pr- mana in print, when it enters the battlefield, you may exile an instant with converted mana cost two or less from your hand. Pay two, tap it. You may copy the exiled card. If you do, you may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. And uh, you, you know, if you look at the, you know, what we've been talking about this whole time, so even disenchant. These are all two mana instants or less. But um, it also, they got to play some fun of, like... Or even just throwing a brainstorm on it. Just making a repeatable brainstorm on a stick. I remember Accumulated Knowledge. Oh, yeah, that was the other big one. That was sweet. Just straight up draw those cards. Right, because you, I mean, you'd eventually get the other three in your yard, and it would just become a draw four on a stick. <laughs> Pay two, draw four. Right. That's 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 pretty good, even by today's standards. Right, right. Um, well, I mean... <laughs> But the big thing is, uh, Orm's Orm's Chant. That was the most miserable card to ever play against. Um, Mm -hmm. It was one white mana. Target player can't play spells this turn. Kicker one white. If the kicker cost was paid, preachers can't attack this turn. And for some reason, and I still don't know how this worked out, but when Isochron Scepter was activated, you could pay the one white kicker, even though it's a copy, and get the effects. It's because Isochron Scepter says you may cast that card. Correct. It's not put a copy on the stack. It's you are straight up casting Orem's Chant without having to pay its mana cost, which means you can then also pay alternate mana cost. Right, right. I, I agree. I just don't know how that passed through. <laughs> oh, like how, oh, how that passed the rules community? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in a sense, you could pay three mana every turn, every upkeep of your opponent and say, you know, you've got to cast your spells now or you're done. And you're not attacking, and you're not playing magic. Good luck. <laughs> uh, so my friend Mike, um, 
he is a burn mage uh, through and through. But when we first started playing Magic around this time, uh, he had the Orem's Chant Scepter Chant deck, and playing against it was so miserable. And I think he had such you know a miserable time playing it that I think it just gave him PTSD, and he is now just played red decks for life after that deck i actually think that's funny because how do you go from burn to that deck like that's like the opposite end of the spectrum i want to win real quick i never want to (laughs) win i mean burn was so popular back then in like local scenes and stuff i played um i think several decks did this we played exalted angel which uh exalted angel was basically our sarah angel at the time and it was like it was a six mana four six flyer and it Whenever it attacks, it deals damage. Whenever Exalted Angel deals damage, you gain that much life. Yes, it doesn't say lifelink, and I don't know why. And it had a morph cost. Lifelink didn't, lifelink didn't exist yet. I, Same with uh, Armadillo Cloak. Armadillo Cloak is, is basically lifelink, but isn't. Right. But uh, that was one of our win cons. We, I mean, that was it was also still, I believe we played Factor Fiction, Cunning Wish. Um, and I think that the Creed deck still played... Or the, the, the scepter deck played decree, but there was a red version and it played fire ices. You know, they were basically the derivatives of the standstill deck. So cool. So yeah. So after that, uh, two thousand and eight rolls around, and now we finally get a planeswalker worthy of the uh, archetype. Elspeth Knight Errant is printed. <laughs> um, so how how did Elspeth change the scene? Not a lot of. I mean, not a lot. Of, she was basically a White Walker. It came down and generated. She was like a moat that could start killing your opponent. Is I guess that's the best way to say it. Like she'd come yeah. down, clog up the board with knights, and if you know they ever stopped doing anything because you kept killing everything, then you'd start attacking and killing them. And it didn't even matter if they had blockers because all spent jumped for soldiers. So right. So you would like Wrath of God and start making tokens, and you don't really care if you lose a couple tokens to the Wrath because you're just going to make more tokens, and you just slowly overwhelm them, and then just start making three three flying beaters. Or I guess it gives does Elspeth give plus two plus two or plus three plus three in flying? Uh, I'm pretty sure it is plus two plus two. Yeah, so you just make three 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 flying soldiers, just start flinging them at your opponent's face. Yeah, I mean. I, I personally have stopped playing with Elspeth years ago because of uh, the newest Gideon is ridiculous. It's plus three, plus three, and flying. Plus three, okay, plus, plus three. Plus I had to check because I've I, been forever since I played her. I played her in Stoneblade too, but you know she the the whole jump was just crazy because it, it's a it's a it's essentially a four turn clock usually because of life loss from Force of Wills and fetches. And it just turns. I mean, she starts clogging up the board with one ones, and then all of a sudden you just your opponent doesn't do something or, you know, you can start jumping and going. So, mm-hmm. well, it's, and it also, it combos with moat itself. If you still want to play moat, moat plus Elspeth is pretty nice. Yes. <laughs> yes. Moat, moat and Elspeth is, it was, it's actually, it's funny. I, I today still like to play moat once in a while, but I will drop my Gideon and ally of Zendikar for Elspeth because of her ability to jump. Yeah, that was a, it was a big, it was a big year to have that Walker. We also, um, I think we got, oh no, that was 09. I'm thinking of Thopter Foundry. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Elspeth uh, was in 2008. That's really when it started playing Planeswalkers. And the next year, we got Thopter Foundry. So 2009, Thopter Foundry is printed. 
which just so happens to combo with a card from about, I think it was like three or four years earlier, Actually, Future Sight. 07, yeah. Or no. 07, Future Sight. Oh, so only two years earlier. Yeah, so Thopter Foundry. They must have known. It, did, how, did they miss this combo, or did they just think this combo was fine? It was only, it's probably still in, like, just rotating out of standard. Think about Sahili Ray. <laughs> they, they, they printed like, the Guard Guardian came out and Sahili Ray was the face like the box artwork like, and they're looking at this cat and they're like yeah that's fine that's great broken <laughs> broken combo slips through R&D never <laughs> I was at an event I think I was was it Eternal Weekend I can't like all the vendors like started grabbing their Sahili rise like they're gold. I mean, it was hysterical. Like they were like, he's just here. They I remember it took it took literal minutes for Twitter to figure out like, the combo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I don't think they were in block. I don't think they were legal at the same time in standard. But you know, I guess yeah, it was definitely played with a ton. It wasn't even because it, it did really well and extended. And it was just amazing. I mean, it was amazing. Well, that's not going to last. <laughs> that's basically everything blue white wants. So, mm-hmm. and is this when uh, like uh, countertops uh, starts coming into play again with the enlightened tutors? So you have the enlightened tutor that can find Thopter Foundry Sword of the Meat. Yeah, there were definitely a lot of and Sensei stop. There were definitely a lot of decks that played with the, the, the combination of the two because of E Tutor, especially since Top let you find whatever pieces you know, you can get your Top first and then start trying to find whatever piece you need. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was a pretty redundant deck. I mean, it still didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't oppressive um, because the standstill decks didn't care about you. Because I mean, that that's the nature of the beast at the time. You can be doing all this stuff, but if the standstill comes down, you're still in trouble. So the standstill decks, those kind of decks, can check. Right. Exactly. So, you know. I, I even now I feel Thopter Foundry combo kind of gets this rap of more fun than good because when you get the Thopter Sword combo going, it just feels awesome. <laughs> like I've seen a Thopter Foundry player hold off an Emercool because they had 16 mana. So they make 16 uh, or not 16 mana. They had uh, seven mana. So they make seven uh, tokens they because the tokens also have flying right emercool attacks they sacrifice six tokens to the emercool and then the last one blocks the emercool for zero damage yeah i'm a, I'm a big I, I i love tezzeret and i love it because of that only like it's like the fastest doctor foundry deck you can play and you know it's basically because of that combo it's it it, it is a, is a fun for me because i can actually almost feel like i'm playing a tier one deck it's far from a tier one deck but it's just a fun, dirtle way. You're just, you know, you don't have an ensnaring bridge, but you do have an ensnaring bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it com- and it combos so well with bridge because, you know, you draw a card on your turn, you have one card, and you have an army of one ones. So. Man, and I just want to make an Esper Tezzerator list with Elspeth Tezzerator Thopter Sword. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not going to be good, but super fun. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean it was it was good. I don't think it ever caught on. I think I mean I know uh, Jerry T played some stuff. I think that might have been extended, and it might have been Legacy later. But there was definitely a lot of Doctor Foundry decks going around. But they were mm-hmm. they were more combo than control, because you know when you start putting these other cards in, you know you're you're 
you're going away from, I, I want to lock the game down to, well, I actually kind of want to win the game. Right. Um, but, you know, it's also, keep in mind, Legacy is a slow-moving format. These changes are coming, like, right on top of each other. Like, there were so much in these, like, five years, so much changed in the face of Legacy. You know, going year after year, by the time you get kind of acclimated to Elspeth, you get Thopter Foundry. By the time you start figuring out Thopter Foundry, 2010 rolls around, and we get the printing of Jace in World Wake. That's the and... best thing ever. <laughs> but worst. <laughs> Exactly. To a lesser extent, Stoneforge Mystic Stoneforge didn't really catch on yet, but we'll cover that later. Um, but yeah, so tell us about you know Jace and how that changed the format. Um, well, I mean, it was I was actually going to add to your point. But I actually Ponder was printed in 07, but I don't actually think Ponder was adopted until 2011 or 12. So your point about it slow moving, it's it's almost glacial back then because the internet wasn't strife. I think the SCG. Tour started. I don't know when they started hosting Legacy. Was that like 2010? Yeah, I think cause it was definitely during my break. So I think it was because I remember SCG Tour didn't exist when I started playing. Um, I took a break for a couple of years, and when I came back, the SCG Tour was like the biggest thing. For right, Legacy. it was huge. I, I mean, I remember we were we were driving ridiculously long places. They actually you could play Legacy every weekend. Um, on Sunday, and it was a real tournament and at real prizes, and it was just amazing. I mean, you just couldn't believe. Um, and that's when a lot of information started getting out there, and people really started working on the format. And it wasn't just your local card shop with your guys around the table. You know, you were you were going to play against real big names. And uh, at the same time, around that, Chase the Mind Sculptor is printed, and this boy, <laughs> this boy's everything. If, if I have to read you this card, well, I'm not going to. <laughs> it's, it's Jace greater than all. He wins the game. You land it, and if your opponent can't deal any, deal with it in two to three turns, they're dead. <laughs> I, so I remember, so for Hipsters of the Coast, when I was writing for them, um, when, they would always be like, okay, so make sure, you know, for newer players, you want to explain the cards a little bit and uh, <laughs> so that they, they can, you know, get an understanding of how good it is. And every time I was just like, Dude, I write about Jace the Mind Sculptor every week. Like, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to explain. I'm not going to explain what he does every week. I'm going to take it for granted that you know know how good Jace is. I, I, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of cards. Decree of Justice. I understand you don't know that card. Jace the Mind Sculptor. <laughs> what you doing with your life? What are you? Who right. are you playing against? You need to play against more different people. Like, you just have to change. Yeah. <laughs> four abilities. He draws a card. You no know, good. That's amazing. He gets rid of a creature. Amazing. He stops your opponent from drawing good cards. Amazing. And then he wins the game. There you go. That's that's everything ever. Like Sarah, it's almost like the second coming of Sarah Angel, who could block and go on the offensive. He does it all, but he can't be killed with a traditional kill spell. Right. And so he starts tearing up standard at the time with Cobblade uh, being you know, kind of the first iteration of just taking advantage of the value of Jace storming with uh, Squadron Hawks and putting them back for just insane value. Yeah. Uh, so it was, wasn't too long until the Legacy players started noticing this and being, huh, I might want to do that uh, in Legacy a bit. Yeah, he actually didn't. I mean, I played that standard probably because maybe the Jace, I'm not going to admit that or not. But uh, he, he was really not actually that good because of Bloodbraid Elf was still legal and then Right. And Valakut actually Not- kept him in check. It was when exactly it was when um, 
it was when we got a, a certain uh, artifact that never died <laughs> that that he <laughs> he really became ridiculous, and that was the batter skull. That's true. Yes. Yeah. So in 2011, Batter Skull is printed and Bloodbraid Elf uh, rotates out. Uh, so this is really when people start to uh, take notice of Jace and when Stoneforge Mystic actually becomes relevant. Yeah, that, I mean, I remember that's when I remember really facing Stoneblade decks, which is also another. If you look at the traditional blue white ones, they're a control deck. And that's when we get an off branch and we get blue white Stoneblade. And it's basically I'm going to play my Mystic. If it lives, you die. If it doesn't, that's fine. I drew a card and you lost a card. And I'm going to wrath your board and then I'm going to play a Mystic and then I'm going to gain some more value. And um, you just go on from there. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and set up your right around the st- Sorry, and set up your Jace. Yeah, exactly. So set it, set up the Jace. So Batter Skull, Stone, you know, Blue White Stone Blade, I remember it being uh, a pretty popular deck in the format. Um, I would say it it was for about a year kind of the go to blue white deck if you wanted to play it. And I'm sorry, what format? In uh, Legacy. I mean, standard as well. It just dominated standard, and then uh, it kind of made its way to uh, to Legacy. Yeah, it was it, it got it was real popular with Stoneblade and uh, Maverick because they could also take advantage of the Stoneforge Mystic because it's a it's a tutor. It ta- it replaces itself. It does everything. Um, the, the, the Stoneblade got Batter Skull and they got Snapcaster Mage because Innistrad um, was also then, or shortly after, it was in 2011, and it introduced Snapcaster Mage, which is the go-to control card of choice to this day. Um, right. It, the efficiency of spells and legacy between Brainstorm, Swords of Plowshares, Lightning Bolt, uh, even discard spells like Thoughtseize and... Uh, Cabal Therapy allows Snapcaster Mage to, to just gain so much value. You get a blocker, you get a card. You know, if you ever get the Snapcaster kill spell, block another dude, that's like a two for one, and it's just an amazing amount of value. Yeah. So good. And we hardly have any time to enjoy it because a year later, Legacy gets another shakeup. Uh, miracles are printed with uh, Avacyn Restored a couple months after Snapcaster Mage. So we were just getting used to casting a bunch of value with Snapcaster Mage when uh, Wizards gives Blue-White another gift. Terminus. Terminus, the best <laughs> spell ever. <laughs> Hold up. I remember spoiler season and everyone losing their shit over a different miracle yeah. card everyone thought temporal mastery was going to be the next big thing i thought you were going to say reforge the soul i really thought you were going to say reforge the soul oh yeah i mean there was also hype about reforge the soul but i uh, temporal mastery was pre-ordering for 50 dollars. i remember yeah, i remember many of my friends <laughs> yeah buying 50 dollar temporal masteries uh and also the other one was a uh, personal tutor Everyone thought the deck was going to be personal tutor. This card from Portal, one blue, search your library for a sorcery card and put it on top of your library. Um, everyone thought, like, oh, I'm just going to personal tutor for Temporal Mastery. And looky there, I just set myself up with a time walk. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, personal tutor went from, like, a bulk rare to, like, a $20 card overnight. 
Um, but yeah, it, that's not how it actually shaped up. Uh, tell us kind of how, how the deck developed from here. Well, it turns out that just exploring, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, time walk, time walk can sometimes be a very overrated card. Like obviously it's a power nine broken card, but there are a lot of situations where time walk is just an explorer. Right. I mean, if, if you're a deck that's not doing anything with its mana, but countering spells, yeah, time walk's just not going to be where you want to be, but, but. Terminus. Terminus was amazing. At this point in time, I mean, Wrath for Wrath of God. I mean, four mana sorcery, and and all of a sudden they're like, here, just have one white mana, and and you don't even send stuff to the graveyard. It's to the bottom of the deck. It's gone. You know, it doesn't matter. Indestructible. Got this. No problem. <laughs> just you know, take care of this problem. It's gone. Go away. And uh, you know, people started playing around with. Sensei's Divining Top. Sensei's Divining Top and the Miracle Cards. Uh, one of our locals, uh, Mike Belfato, he went to an SCG event, Top Aided, and he played the worst Miracles deck I could possibly think of to this day. It played, <laughs> it played the horrible white Miracle that was like Swords to Plowshares, but if you Miracle it, it's Swords to Plowshares. And it was like, you have Swords to Plowshares, you don't even need this. Um, you have path to exile just play path to exile right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if you really want more swords to plowshares but, but because of the busted nature of of terminus and you know nobody was no everybody at this point had was used to tribal on tribal action where they're just slamming merfolks into goblins and bad elf decks and they're just like filling up the ground with creatures and burn decks and maverick and and then this this quiet blue white mage walks in the room and goes terminus and just everybody's gone mm -hmm. so it, it, yep. it was a huge shakeup. and then along with terminus we got an actual finisher with entree the angels right hearkening back to uh decree of justice players saw and treat the angels and like oh i remember doing broken things like this in the past yeah and i mean entree really just gave the deck a win con and there was arguments one Two, three on treats, some, you know, different amounts were played. Because, you know, you could play at earlier stages for moat and what later stages to win. But it was just, you know, it was a very, it was a very big shakeup to the way the blue-white control decks were played. And then several people started testing counterbalances. People started showing up with SCG. Yeah. With well, I would say the big, the big thing with that is right around this time, Rogue Delver started becoming such a dominant force. Yes, yes, which lowered, which that was the big thing. We had the Delver of Secrets printed, and you had yep. Maverick trying to compete with it. Everybody started lowering their curve because they wanted to get in under the Delver cards, keep locking you in stage one. So they had to drop their mana curve. Zoo, Zoo got locked up and went away, and you basically was one one drop two drops versus counterbalance because of the evolution of the cards right you know delver of secrets was printed two sets before in innistrad uh miracles were printed in avist and restored uh which is the third set in the block and that was basically just enough time for delver to sink its claws in the format and rug delver developed as a deck that just punished these expensive uh expensive mid-range decks and everyone just got forced lower and lower and lower and lo and behold miracles gets printed and all of a sudden countertop is primed to just pick apart the format right i, I mean a lot of people blame a bunch of different things but if they really look at it the printing of delver secrets and the abuse of stifle because the canadian 
the, the Canadian Thresh deck played Werebear. You you can't blame that deck. Like that deck, (laughs) that deck wasn't locking you in stage one and sacrificing its own self with wastelands and disciples and stuff to lock you out. It was the Delver of Secrets where they had a three-two flying the cattle that just happened to be blue and pitched to your force of will that just really just tore up the format. And counterbalance couldn't really thrive in earlier formats because the the cmcs were just too diverse but now we had a format where everybody's playing ones and twos and control mages were just like oh sweet i've got this Mm -hmm. and you know from there on out like miracles was a dominating force for about three to four years afterwards basically from here on out we just kind of have some spice being added um the past couple years there was different versions of the deck and Yes, so, the it, miracles hadn't coalesced into what we think of as today. Yeah, Joe Lissette had his I, I play way too many creatures version, which is Legend Miracles, and I love that version because it's so fun and fun. But it's not really a control deck. You know, it can play a controlling role, but it's not a control deck. And then you get the Shanagar School call up come up, and it and that's when you started seeing ponders ponders and ponders and he's playing four ponders and all the Delver's decks are playing four ponders and we're into the turbo xerox that we are today and you know ponder doesn't really shine until then and you know all of these decks are like i can cheat on lands i can play 20 lands and you know miracle pilots today 18 lands 18 lands four of which are wasteland perfect (laughs) my man is perfect yeah <laughs> and then from there we just kind of get some more spice like uh, in 2012 uh rest in peace is printed so for the barest minute rest in peace helm of obedience uh was the combo for the miracles deck um i feel that kind of never really took that much hold there are still people playing it at your fnm there are i know there are still people who won't let it die like i'm never surprised when i see a rip helm come into play because i'm like all right we're doing this I'm not gonna lie <laughs> but i played it at an scg open it was fun i got to e tutor for a coronos to counter a force of will it was amazing because <laughs> i had a counterbalance in play and i e tutored <laughs> for a coronos countered it felt great and then I got murdered by every Abrepticay deck after that. But, you know, I felt good for about a whole half a second. Right. <laughs> so it's just at this time, like, Entreat the Angels. The two main Miracles decks were the Entreat the Angels version. And then, like you said, the more creature based that was Snapcasters, Vendillion Clicks, and Vencers. Yeah, the Legends. Um, Rip Helm went. Yeah, Legends Miracles. Rip Helm Miracles was kind of the kid brother that. Uh, wasn't really as powerful as its big brothers. I just that you really didn't even talk to the party. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, like, you would play against one of these poor Rip Helm opponents, and you were just like, they're like, rest in peace. And you're like, okay, sweet. Counterbalance. <laughs> like, man, I just lost. Like, we both played oh, two man enchantments. One of them did something of relevance. <laughs> So it's just it was it was something um you know it was it was a derivative it was nice it was just underpowered it it would probably look a lot better in today's metagame because there's less abrupt decays but it's still clunky and you're playing this e tutor package it's card disadvantage and that's really not what you want from a blue white yeah, deck a blue white deck fundamentally is trying to gain cards yeah that's the nail in the coffin is it, it uh, eternal tutor 
is uh, sorry, enlightened tutor is just card straight disadvantage. You pay a card to put a card on top of your library. Well, and that's just that that point is actually what leads to the next evolution is uh, the predict miracles. Mm-hmm. Right. E tutor. You're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, did I? Oops. <laughs> Well, because we still have so wizards, I feel kind of realized they may have messed up a little bit and we get thrown a bone with abrupt decay being printed. And I feel abrupt decay is another big milestone for legacy. Can you imagine legacy 2012 uh, going forward to from 2012 playing legacy with a without abrupt decay? I think miracles would have been banned four years ago if abrupt decay had never been printed. Yeah, I think counterbalance would have gotten axed in 2012. Or 2013, mm-hmm. it would have been banned. One, like one, one or two cycles of just counterbalance versus counterbalance would have probably just axed counterbalance. Right, but we got abrupt decay, and it was not really enough to fight the miracles menace, uh, but it was just enough to give people hope. And well, it actually was. Um, Charlotte's the Charlotte's decks were really good. It just forced the miracle decks to adapt. And that was the power of blue-white control was as if you go through the history, every time blue-white just decides it's going to change what it's doing. And with Mm -hmm. that was when Predict Miracles started being played. And Predict Miracles was the answer to the Abrupt Decay. It was basically like these these shardless decks that had so much card advantage and they had Ancestral Visions and Hymn to Turok and Shardless Agent, which is a, just a horrible magic card. It's like a draft common at best, but it's amazing when you fill it up with him to Torox and Ancestral Visions and um, they start playing Predict and Predict was I, I mean, I, I played against several Shardless opponents. Um, I, I was very against moving to the new Four Ponder. I didn't mind playing the Predicts as much because we had played with them before. Um, Reed Duke actually played Predict before everybody else did. Um, he played as because he didn't want to play a second Snapcaster Mage because he didn't like creatures. He played a Predict in the two CMC slot for counterbalance because um, hmm. you had to have so many twos to count to counter twos reliably. Right. And when you look at it, uh, Predict was. Basically, your answer, I mean, Charlotte's took a hit for a little while when we had the Delve spells come out and mess up the entire metagame, and it wasn't as good, but, you know, it started coming back, and it would have probably put Miracles back down if Predict hadn't been uh, brought up by a bunch, bunch of guys, um, Minhajul Hawk, uh, Anurag Das, uh, these guys all champions this Predict card, and... It was amazing. I mean, you started predicting, and your predict would lead to another predict, another predict, and you didn't care, and your opponent would be drawing, like, cards that were garbage, and you'd just be shuffling through your deck so fast. I know Min has said that he believes predict is the reason why top got banned. <laughs> like, he thinks predict is uh, what really set the set the deck over the top. I, I don't think that's why top got banned. The, the next card we're going to talk about, I'm pretty sure, is why top got banned. <laughs> that's that's a good point uh 2015 monastery mentor is printed yeah this card this card is a dumb magic card it's it's restricted yeah. and vintage for a reason it's a creature that's, that's restricted and vintage. that is a ridiculous statement 
and it's still kicking vintage butt. Like it's there dope. are still decks named after it in vintage. So they call it like blue, white, red mentor. It's a restricted card. You're naming it after one card. Why don't you call it blue, white, red, black Lotus, blue, white, red time walk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, monastery mentors printed. And now, so what I think my personal theory is there were so there were lots of miracles players, but you had to be very good to win consistently with miracles uh, because I think a lot of it people had problems closing out the game. And if you the more turns that go by, the more likely you are to make a mistake that allows your opponent to claw their way back in monastery mentor like shaved miracles clock in half. All of a sudden you have this threat that you can close the game out quickly. Yeah, the card is. So, I mean, on the, the, the go-to-time thing, I also think that people under counterbalance play excruciating slow because they're trying to figure out how to get around it with the mind games. But that's part of the problem. Because, I mean, I, I've just played counterbalance this weekend at the SCG Classic, and we had I had games that would last forever because my opponents are, like, trying to, like, mentally, like, read my mind. What did he put on top? And they're slow and they're... they're their frames they're just so slow they're they're giving you like stank eye from across Uh, the field like just they're like does he got the two on top i don't know and and they're so afraid of just losing card equity that they just slow their face down to a glacial they want to be just like me i guess under mage so but we got mentor and mentor was amazing i mean mentor i i hated it first because it's a creature but like put them in your sideboard and people took their removal out and you just played it down and they'd look at it and they'd go, it's a three mana two, two. What's that going to do? And then they died two turns later. Yeah. Cause the, the, it's true. I mean, the power of top with mentor. I mean, I actually remember you played mentor in your beloved deck. I, yeah, I, I was playing mentor top in sneak and show. Like that's how good the card was. I like, that's how I won my, uh, I won the wormwood open with, uh, blue, white, red, sneak and show, monastery mentor in the sideboard for just the gotcha moments. And like against Eldrazi, I would just activate City of Traders, uh, play Sensei's Divining Top, tap top, draw my second top on top of my library, play top again. Oh, all of a sudden I just made a bunch of um, uh, monk tokens. I have blockers for days. Uh, and I just literally set up a wall until I can assemble my combo. Like the card, the card interaction with Sensei's Divining Top was just insane. Yeah, it was, it was busted in half. I mean, the card, the card single-handedly took a lot of our bad poor matchups. Because if you were a deck that played like Mud or Twelve Post that played CMCs that we could never match at all, so, you know, it doesn't matter if we could demonic tutor our deck, we still couldn't counter with counterbalance. You were a bit of a problem for us, and you know, our clock wasn't fast enough to put them under pressure. So they would get the ability to gain their 15, 27 mana, whatever they need to cast some thing that I can't even spell because it's got Emrakul the Aeon's Torn for crying out loud, and we just die. But then Monastery Mentor came along, and we just, I'm, every time slam on a turn three, and I look at my opponent, and I tell him, you have two turns. And <laughs> <laughs> they, they would start playing their come into play, or what is it, uh, the post land that gains life, glimmer post. Now I gain two life, and that's adorable. That's an extra couple tops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you just—it was—it was—and it also broke the mirror open. You know, the, we we were spoiled up until this point. We would side out all of our removal because all the blue creatures that we played, Vanillion Click, Snapcaster, died to Red Blast, which we wanted in our deck anyways. 
that we didn't need removal. And now all of a sudden we have this white creature coming down and that messed up all of them out. Yeah. So mentor pretty busted eventually leads 2016. Can't believe man, two years ago, quote unquote, <laughs> more like a year and a couple days, but, uh, 2016, top is banned and everyone you know miracles dies we never see miracles ever again right steve uh 2017 right it was it was <laughs> oh, it was it was 2017 <laughs> i don't want to talk about it it was 2000 april 2017 not that i'm still crying but yes april 21st i think right oh was it 2017 top was yes. banned? i thought it was 2016 it was just oh it was just last year i'm still in denial it's ptsd going on <laughs> so yeah sorry you guys had to go a couple months without playing miracles <laughs> i am um, so i went to a tournament that weekend i was signed up for a team team constructed tournament and that week my buddy was on sahili combo control i was on miracles they banned Beldegar guardian and top that same week we were three days before our event and no idea what we were going to play. <laughs> Team tournament where both decks get knocked out. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I went. I, I showed up with uh, just just miracles without the top and and the count, and uh, counterbalances, and switched my permanences for supreme verdicts and just went to town with that. And I actually only dropped one match because. It, I was very lucky, and, my, and nobody knew what I was doing, and neither did I, so it worked out really well. <laughs> Opponent can't read you if you don't know what you're right. doing. <laughs> I mean, I was because I, I played blue-white control forever, and it was still blue-white control. It just, you know, it just didn't have the efficiency rate. And it was, it was a different, it was a different kind of deck. But yeah, they they took top from us. They were <laughs> evil people. I'm glad they did it. uh because a few short months later search for ascanta gets printed and miracles is reborn yeah so this this card is insane um i would say that any control not just like legacy but modern standard it doesn't matter this card should be in your deck it does everything it's it's a it's a scry it's a card advantage engine it's an extra mana like there are there are, I I played in I, I played at the classic. I put down a search for Ascanta on turn three. I flipped it on the beginning of turn four, and I drew my card. When I scribed for my card, it was Entreat the Angels. So I finished. I moved it to the two into a land and put down two angels on the beginning of turn four. And my opponent looked at me and was like, that, you have two angels already. I said, yep. And <laughs> <laughs> turn four, turn four, two, four, fours. That's, that's pretty decent. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and still made my land drop. Like it was funny. I yeah. it, it was, it was just, it was perfect. Uh, I, I can't, can't say anything bad about the card. If, if you don't die right away, if you do what blue white wants to do, which is you don't die right away, the card just gives you everything you need. Yeah. Uh, also, going back a bit, I do. I'm going to be remiss if I don't mention this. But uh, uh, when miracles were printed and miracles became the dominant blue-white deck, uh, we really saw Stoneforge Mystic, uh, blue-based Stoneforge Mystic decks, really take a back seat. Yes. Um, no one was really playing Esper Stone uh, Stoneblade. 
or you know blue white control other than you know a couple crazy players it wasn't the pillar in the format it used to be and for those couple months when uh miracles was banned and people were still figuring out what the control deck we did see a bunch of the stoneforge mystic decks uh come back into play the esper decks have been putting up numbers um bant put up a couple numbers while um miracles was a deck but i really don't consider the bant list as much a control deck as just a mid-range deck yeah there was there was several Um, attempts at um during miracles when miracles was still being figured out there were several esper decks and then that's when actually the deathblade decks came out with the printing of death ride shaman and those had all kinds of different cards in it, but they were all mid-range decks. The actual traditional blue-white control deck basically died with Miracles because if they played it, like, the deck was a 50-50 deck. You, that that yeah. was what, you had to work really hard to win. Miracles was not a 50-50 deck. You had, like, two or three matches that were abysmal, but everything else, you were favored. So it was always a hard argue. Why am I going to play this 50-50 deck where I'm going to work really hard or I can just play Miracles? Right. It, it basically came down to Miracles is the best thing you can do, probably just in Legacy in general, let alone the best thing to do in Blue-White. So I mean, why play this subpar deck? I, I remember trying to like brew Blue-White decks that weren't Miracles, and every single time I would just arrive to the fact that this is just a bad miracles deck. Why don't I just play miracles? Right. I mean, there was several, like in 2012, I think it was Grand Prix Indianapolis. Tom Martell won with Esper Stumbling. And it was very much a control deck. I think he had like, I think he had eight creatures. I mean, for real, a Stoneblade deck, one a GP, eight creatures. Uh, it was like, I think he had three Snapcasters, four Stoneforge Mystics, one V Click. But he had three Jaces and then all spells. Uh, like, and he had Lingering Souls. That was the other card that was huge. He had the Lingering Souls, which were creatures too. And, I mean, he just locked his opponent out, put down his souls, and, you know, he would you know, he would eventually just grind them out through card advantage and win the game. But, like, that was a very short window because that was 2012. And the Miracles, I don't think... They weren't printed, or they might have just been printed, and they nobody really thought about them as a deck. So, shortly after, they just disappeared. I mean, as soon as it just people realize that you're just working way too hard to win with that deck, and you can just permanent everything away every turn. Mm-hmm. I do think with new miracles, there is room. We're still seeing the Stoneblade decks uh, put up some results. Um, so I do think that there is room for them to coexist, but we'll see. I think Stoneblade is always going to be better as a three-color deck rather than a straight blue-white deck. The blue-white wastelands and factories. The only problem with it is it doesn't really work very well when when Culligan's Command is a real spell in real decks in their main <laughs> configuration. I mean, there, there's no card that just trumps. Like, the whole point of Stoneforge Mystic is even if you kill it, you're up a card. But K-Command just says, no, I killed it, and you discarded a card. So it invalidates the entire strategy. And a lot of decks, like unchecked, a Batter Skull comes down, they can't deal with it. But, yep, there's that K-Command. It also deals with Batter Skull. So... It's just, it's a very, 
a very difficult thing to deal with. I mean, you know, well, I remember playing Batter Skulls and dropping it down for five mana and getting it through. And then even if they killed the token, I just get it back. But this, you know, K command just invalidates the entire necessity to play that without playing something like True Name Nemesis, like the uh, Bant Deathblade decks that you're speaking of. The Bant, the Bant Deathblade decks, they're they're basically True Name Leovold decks that happen to have Stoneforge Mystic with them for the ride. Exactly. Yeah, that's why I kind of just put them in their own league. Uh, but yeah, so that kind of takes us to to modern blue white. That was uh, that was I like that. that. I I feel that was uh, fun. We maybe we'll do that with some other formats in the future or other uh, archety- archetypes in the future. Yeah, I mean it's it's great. I mean there were some shout outs like the Flusterstorm Council's Judgment. There were cards that were printed along the way. Like, oh there's yeah, just, like we I'm sure we missed a bunch. Like <laughs> side cards, you know, even like shout outs. And, Get mage and land tax. <laughs> yeah, containment, containment priest, yeah. and you know we we saw a bunch of just kind of like sideboard cards and sar- cards that were just nice additions. Surgical extraction, the card that should have never been printed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably still be on reanimator to this day if surgical had never been printed. <laughs> I I mean I lost a reanimator into in the classic. He game three. He I, had the the nutter butter. I'm on the play. He's on the play. Show me the angel. Put in a grizzle brand. I'm dead. Or no, he put in. Hey, Iona. I, I'm sorry. I told you to make that goat sacrifice to grizzle brand, and you didn't listen I to did. me. And you lost a you lost a reanimator sneak and show sneak and show. That's what you I get. Did, I did. I lost to the three <laughs> combo decks in the format. I died before turn two. My turn two. It's life. I'm 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 I'm, I'm good with it because like it, it gave me a perspective. Like I'm, I've been like listening to the band death right sauce and. And I died. I didn't die to a single death right. I died to grizzle brands, all of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, it, I I like where New Miracles is uh, in the meta now. I kind of want to refer to New Miracles as just N U apostrophe Miracles. I think that's how I'm gonna do, <laughs> I'm gonna do it. N- like New Miracles, it's a fancy uh, high end mall uh, clothing shop. <laughs> but I always call it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it's in a good spot. But if if Wizards was to print a new card, like what what would you say you would want most for the deck now? Oh, I'm not allowed to say Sensei's Dividing Time. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't say Sensei's Dividing Time. Uh, let's see. I don't know. I mean, a Scry engine that was not terrible. I mean, with, with Search for Ascanta, we kind of got exactly what we needed. Um, I, I'm loath to accept a new Planeswalker that could fit the deck for the simple fact that while I love Planeswalkers, I also hate them because they, they're they just they're changing the way Magic plays so much that, you know, cards like Disenchant aren't playable anymore because there's you don't have room. You need, like, a Vindicate effect because they could be playing this Planeswalker and it could run away after two turns. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, cards... A blue flash creature. If I say a white flash creature, that's kind of fair because it can't be Red Blast. Red Blast right now is like the best card in Legacy, in my opinion. Like, that's not Death Rider Delver because Red Blast just answers everything so well. So, if it was going to be fair for everybody, a blue card. If it wasn't, wasn't going to be fair, a white card that, that generates value. That's what I'd want. Nice. Awesome. 
so yeah, that uh, that takes us through uh, Blue White. Uh, real quick before we leave for the night, we did just have two major legacy events. Yeah, we did. We'll probably get into these next week. I think. Oh, Pat. Come on, Pat. I know, Come I know, on, but we're I'm, running I'm, late. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably dive into these next week. I think because we're at ah, we're almost at ninety minutes now. So fine. Dad. Gotta leave. Gotta leave him wanting more, man. Oh, leave him wanting more. <laughs> Uh, if you want longer episodes, if we hit the next, if we hit the next tier of our Patreon <laughs> goals, we'll do two-hour episodes. <laughs> Get out! You should. <laughs> For further support, contact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Follow the link in the show notes. Hey, I see the numbers. I know how many people listen to this cast, and I know how many people support us on Patreon. So I know I know what the difference is, guys. I can do math. You need a Facebook. Okay? Poll. I just want the listeners to know my love doesn't need to be bought. I give it free. Mine does. <laughs> Buy my love. Facebook poll. It's right better now. than Jerry's. Pat and Jerry. Pat versus Jerry. Pa- Facebook poll. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it right now. Do I have to be an administrator to create this? <laughs> oh man. Fine, we'll get into it next week. Um, I want to say the Men of Steel list looks hilarious. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> we, we do have a we do have a Hascon promo to give away to uh, Jerry. Oh yeah, we got to do that. Let's so, give out. All right, so we have we have a few runners up, and we're going to be shipping you guys out some prizes as well. I th- what do we decide, Jerry, for the runners uh, up? I got some. I I got a Conic Booster Pack. So yeah. Got packs of iconic boosters, iconic yes, masters. Well, can't talk. Uh, then we got like stickers and yep. uh, some other, you know, just some, some, some nice little some goodies. Nice awesome. Some do some doodads so, and trinkets. <clears throat> these are our our four runners up in no particular order because we had to <laughs> we go said, to the top five. We had a ton of just, really good entries actually. Yeah. Can I just say it was so tough to choose? Like we're doing four because we said three, and then we just couldn't decide yeah. between, yeah. between like, narrowing it down to three. And just getting it to four was super hard because there yeah. were so many good ones. It was it was really uh, man. This was a great contest. I enjoyed it a ton. I really really did. Um, all right. So uh, without further ado, I'm gonna I'm just gonna read off these uh, with the the, the pe- person submitted and the quote. If you haven't seen the picture, I'm sure you can dig it up at the Facebook page. Uh, first one is from our friend, not so silent Bob, foiled out deck, white border duels. I know this one is this one really tickled Jerry. <laughs> uh, just to describe it, the picture is two kids sitting on Santa Claus lap, just screaming, wailing their yeah, eyes screaming. Out, just so upset to be taking a picture <laughs> of Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, our, our our next runner up, our friend Brooks Dorsey. Uh, so you kids want blue duels for Christmas? No problem. Sunken Hollow or Prairie Stream? <laughs> um, ben Borodaka. This is a little bit longer, so it's a, it's a story. So sit down. Oh, and Ben's actually coming on next week's episode to talk Stoneblade. Nice, nice. A disheveled mother, obviously stricken with worry, a lack of sleep, and a slight glimmer of hope, holds her two nervous and upset children closely. She walks up to St. Nick, her sunken eyes locked with Santa Claus, and he knows their family is in trouble. The family had been visited. He quickly grabs the little boy and girl and sits with them on his red velvet-lined throne. St. Nick flashes a glance to the mother, signaling that he will attempt to help the children. The boy squeaks, Can you? He is convulsing at even the thought of whispering its name. Can you help us? Santa responds, With what, my boy? The boy says, My home. We were visited by the one they called Grizzlebrand. <laughs> <laughs> 
Suddenly, Santa's pupils dilate and his jaw drops. His head contorts to meet the mother's face. The boy and girl have seen this before, and they know what is happening to their beloved Santa. The children start to scream. Their cries rattle through the village. Santa Claus reveals a slight grin and whispers, Pay seven, draw seven? The children continue to scream, but they know it's too late. Christmas is over. St. Nick repeats, Pay seven, draw seven. <laughs> that's like a that's like a creepy pasta. I like that. That's like that's like his creative writing class. <laughs> oh my God. It was it was definitely. I felt chills. Uh, our our next runner up, our next runner up, uh, Ben Travis, uh, submits. Jerry's Halloween costumes are getting out of hand, <laughs> and uh, and uh, there's one more head start here. Is that the four? That's the four. And then our winner. This is the winner. Uh, we're sending out... Jerry, what are we sending out for this? We're sending him the Hascon exclusive, the uh, Grimlock, uh, Nerf War, and uh, I am blanking. What's the... Oh, uh, Swords of Dungeons Sword of Dungeons and Dragons. Dragons. Yeah, the, the whole Hascon promo box set. with the. Uh, it has the, uh, the dragon token in there as well. So we're going to send that out. Um, so this one is a uh, picture. And I'm actually... You know, right now I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to share it in the chat real quick because I want you guys to see it as well. Um, <laughs> and don't worry. We are going to post this up on the Facebook page as well. So when you get to this part, just head over there and we're going to post this and the winners uh, uh, runners up. So you have uh, the, page. You have the first picture, which is the two children sitting happy on, on Santa's lap. This holiday season, your round seven winning an opponent. And then Santa pulls off the beard. Will be me. Children are just crying. <laughs> and he has photoshopped oh, yeah. my face. Oh, the Photoshop! It's it's just so it's so good. It is so funny. Like Jerry, oh, I was cracked when I opened this up. I laughed so hard. It was so good. So like he uh, did a good job. Oh, he really did. He really did. So congratulations to Connor, uh, local guy, right? Good guy all around. Uh, I know he drops in my stream sometimes. So. Congratulations to him. Uh, we'll send him out the either send him out to him or we'll meet up with him at an event or whatever, um, and 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 make sure he gets this. Uh, and thank you to everyone who submitted. Uh, yeah, who there submitted were some super good. Ones. They were like, yeah, it was really hard to pick. It was hard to pick five <laughs> out of all these. So, um, we really enjoyed it, and we will probably be doing more stuff like this. You know, as we go to more events and get some more swag, we will. Uh, Definitely raffle off or have a little contest like this because I think it's I think it's a lot of fun for our listeners and it's a lot of fun for Jerry and I as well. So the little kids' faces <laughs> on this picture are amazing. So good, right? <laughs> like he photoshopped the kids' faces too. Like he went. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't. That this is amazing. This is priceless. <laughs> it's so good, so good. So thanks again to everyone who uh, participated. We had some really great entries. Uh, we hope you all had a uh, an awesome Christmas or whatever you celebrate, and you continue to have a great New Year. And uh, and yeah, that's it. Awesome. Should we get into scoops? Yes, we do need to get into scoops. Jerry, why don't you go first, man? Yeah. So uh, I wanted to thanks. Uh, thanks. I wanted to thanks uh, James Any for I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry if I'm not James. Uh, for he sent me uh, the awesome article by Steve uh, Mendian. 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 Which it, yes. <laughs> That's what Pat said. 
what Pat said. Uh, but he wrote this awesome, basically online book on just the history of old school and vintage mm-hmm. and had a lot of great information about the deck. So we're going to throw that in the show notes if people want to check it out. Uh, great article. Uh, and it's part of a series of articles that just kind of goes over the early days of magic. Uh, and also just wanted to scoop in uh, Aaron Bonchek for sending me our friend Sam's uh, Kitchen Table Magic episode where he, uh, Sam actually interviews Brian Weissman about his creation, The Deck. So shout out to both of you guys for uh, helping me uh, with researching for this episode. Awesome. Uh, <coughs> Steve, how about you, man? Who are you scooping in the top eight this week? I'm going to scoop in all the uh, wonderful people I got to play with uh, uh, SCG Columbus Classic, including the three Grizzlebrand players that beat my face in. <laughs> uh, and I'd like to scoop in all of my local gaming guys, a legacy group that we play every week. Uh, Kurt Rule, Harry Taylor, all these guys, just they're, they're helping support legacy and keep it going in our local area. Awesome. 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 Um, all right. Uh, if you want to find Jerry, you find him on Twitter at J M E E three R D. You can find me at Pat Uglo stream is twitch.tv slash Pat Uglo. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, find the Patreon in the show notes. How about you, Steve? If they want to get a hold of you, where's the best place for them to find you? Um, at a store jam and legacy, but I, I forgot one more scoop. Uh, I want to scoop you guys in. I want to scoop all of the legacy content. You got you guys, uh, Legacy Breakfast, the Brainstorm Show. All of you guys, you keep the hype going. Like Legacy would die if it weren't for what you guys do every week. Basically shouting, "Hey, we're still here. Come play, have fun, and even jam Grizzlebrand." So, you guys are awesome. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks, man. Much appreciated. Uh, all right, Jerry, you have a a die to roll here. Um, I have a digital die because I don't have any within reach. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I gotta, Google, I, no, Google's gonna help me. I got a D twenty right here. I use the uh, Google. So so does I Google. Use the D twenty. It's gotta be real. It is a D twenty. Look, I can I can set the number of sides as the twenty first century. I've seen Wizards uh. deck shuffler program. I'm not sure if I believe in this. <laughs> I'm not sure about this random generator. <laughs> uh i got a five the number was five all right rob curlin <laughs> what do you call a number that won't stay still what a roman numeral i like it i feel bad last week's uh last week's i know somehow i forgot to the episode uh, with, with bbd that got featured on the mothership i somehow <laughs> forgot to add the intro music and it got the episode got cut like three minutes short i don't know what happened <laughs> i'm really upset about it I I, I I i i can't even discuss it i'm mad uh I, I I think it's the curse of being featured on the Mother Show because every time we have an episode featured on Magic dot com, it's always an episode where something goes wrong. Uh, goes wrong, <laughs> as in like I messed up some editing on this one. The last one, Jerry was taking like twenty minute bong rips what? on it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you're making pasta over there, Jerry. I was making pasta. Wow. Yeah, right. Right. All right. You know what? Just because I'm in a bad mood, let's get a roll it again, Jerry. Roll it again. <laughs> I want another joke. Another joke. I want a two fur in this episode. Ten? 
Ted. Did we, delete, Cor- did we delete the joke from last week? Yeah. Corey, ah. Corey Kozlowski, uh, how many MTG players does it take to screw in a light bulb? Three. One to do it. Two to stand and watch, telling him how, <laughs> telling him after the fact how he could have done it three turns faster. <laughs> nice. That's a good one. Um, do we remember whose joke it was last week? I want them to resubmit it. Uh, someone, someone wrote a big long joke that that had a great payoff. So. Was it? No, it wasn't a long one. It was a short one last week. Was it a short one? Yeah, two weeks ago one. was the long one about the goat. No, that was Marcus. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. So what was last the last one? Shit. You know what? I have the raw audio. I could probably find it. All right. Oh, wait. No, I deleted it. But I can pull it out of my my deleted box. So (laughs) This joke is so good, guys. Trust us. When you hear it, you're going to laugh your asses off for like three years. Uh, Such hype. Such hype. All right, Pat. Let's get out of here. All right. We'll play us out with something sweet. All right. I will. And it'll be actual music this time. We'll just end dead silence. <laughs> so embarrassing. That was so oh, embarrassing. Man. Come on down to Never a to bread.